Welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood. Hi, and welcome to The Pursuit of Life. My name is Dave Hazelwood, and I'm excited to have you joining me today, because we're meeting my special guest, Benjamin Lowe. Ben is a business owner with a serious athletic pedigree. He's got a 9-hour, 27-minute Ironman to his name, as well as a 242 marathon. He worked in financial markets for a number of years before deciding he wanted to change in direction, and he started his own finance and mortgage broking business, Zeal Finance. The same discipline he brought to his training he now applies to helping his clients get the home they want with a finance structure that will help them pay it off faster. Do you struggle to juggle work, training and all of your different roles and all the different things you need to get done each day? Today we're talking about the value of time and how to leverage your time to get more things done. For all the resources and tools mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at knightswood.com.au. Now, let's get into the interview. So we're here today with Ben Lowe from Zeal Finance. And um, first thing I want to ask you, Ben, is what did you want to be when you grew up? What did I want to be? Uh, My mum keeps telling me that it was always, I always wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer in the morning and a fireman and something else in the afternoon. So I guess lots of different things, I guess, is the answer. And I guess to a degree that the, certainly with the business aspect of, of my career in the last little while has meant I've had to wear a lot of different hats. So maybe that's where I've always meant to end up. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, speaking of that now, I mean, you're, so you're running Zeal Finance. So what does that involve on a day-to-day basis? I mean, what's the business do and what do you do as uh, in your role? So the revenue generating uh, reason for our, us to be is to get people a better deal um, on their mortgage than a lot of the time they get than if they go into a bank. I guess it distills down to uh, if you go into a bank, the bank is looking after the bank. Um, and if you come to a broker, we are here to, to look after your interests. And that's what we do, uh, help people secure mortgages and there's a lot that goes on with that more than just rate. Anyone can Google um, a very good rate, uh, but it's service, structuring of the loan, structuring of your personal finances even before you apply, and that's 70 to 80% of my day, and the rest of it is business, regulation, and uh, sort of compliance sort of stuff. Okay. And beyond that, I suppose, being the, the principal of the business, there's the, the business systems and growth and marketing and all that sort of stuff as well. I mean, how much... Um, what do you enjoy doing the most? Uh, I enjoy sitting down with the clients and running through the fact that we can often save them a significant amount of money. That's always good. Securing finance for the, the clients if they've had a no. I think that's another thing that I enjoy. Uh, when I started out on the mortgage broken journey, it was actually more a uh, to set up as a business, to, to have a little bit more control out of my destiny. Uh, I was disillusioned with uh, the amount of politics in the corporate world to get here. And then uh, the, I guess the part that I enjoy most now is actually just seeing friends get a better deal. Okay. And so how did you, so you were originally in corporate land and what was your role there? Uh, Long time equity sales trader with Citibank and then a couple of years at Bloomberg, which was good, uh, broadened my 
depth of knowledge uh, outside of the equity space to foreign exchange uh, interest rates and futures as well. Okay. And so how did you make the jump from there into to mortgage broking? Uh, well, I guess given the, the title of the podcast, it was from uh, a relationship that I had with uh, someone who I'd done triathlon with for six or seven years. Uh, he had, still has a mortgage broking business. The idea that you get, you can build your own business was great. Uh, sort of the personal nature of it and the, I guess the gratification I get now wasn't as big as it was when I started as it is now. And that's how we kind of moved over to mortgage broking with, with him, learned the ropes, and then mid last year uh, set up the business on my own. Okay. And how's it going so far? You know, kind of 12 months in and uh, first 12 months tend to be pretty difficult. It's evolved quickly. Uh, and so when there's three months of not talking to clients, but you're just setting stuff up, running through different uh, service providers, aggregators, I initially looked at... Uh, maybe partnerships or other sort of different business structures, but ultimately I didn't found the right balance within those contracts. Um, and so I set up on my own and then it progressed to taking up the majority of your time. And then now it's probably that my bottleneck is efficiently processing the opportunities that I've got and not just the opportunities that the clients come to me with, uh, but we see very personal and intimate details of, of people's finances and a lot of the times I can see room for improvement outside of the mortgage. And so uh, there's lots of things, additional services that I guess uh, we could be offering, not just offering our clients, but improving our clients' lives by having a chat to them about. Okay. So our sort of work, I mean, you mentioned tries. And, uh, yeah, I know you've done a, a bunch of different things. What, what's the thing that you love most? Which one of the sports or uh, or elements of triathlon or is it the the whole lot? What do you love the most? I, I love getting outdoors and uh, I love not sitting on a bus and commuting to work. Uh, and so I think there's been periods of time, times where I haven't done a lot of racing and I find myself doing two-thirds to three-quarters of the amount of training just to keep sane, fit and healthy as I do when I'm racing. So, you know, you get through periods of... Uh, lulls in your training and, and you just feel lethargic and, and not very sharp. So then that usually bounces back to being pretty active anyway. And then on top of that, you kind of go, oh, I might as well do a race. So that's how it usually uh, evolves. I love love running. Um, it comes naturally. It's something I find meditative. Uh, I guess you get in the rhythm where your breath's in rhythm with your stride, your brain patterns just sort of go from a to b to c to d they seem to um you seem to progress through what you've got as opposed to a lot of the time i guess you know when you're sitting on that bus and you know there's someone encroaching on your personal space beside you that uh you seem to go from a to b back to a back to b back to a the thought process and stress levels are a bit higher i guess and so that i love that if there's one thing that i find difficult is the um is just swimming for enjoyment Okay, is that uh, pool swimming, ocean swimming? I enjoy the ocean swimming. Um, so we have the, uh, with the triathlon club, we go down to Coogee uh, most Friday mornings for an ocean swim. That's easy enough to, to motivate for. I guess it's the, the 5K sets that you're supposed to be doing in the pool. Some of it on your own. Sometimes the whole thing's on your own. I guess I find that is the least easy. And so how do you push through that when, you, yeah, when you've got to do those things? So for the swimming in particular, um, 
and I guess the cycling as well. The cycling, I guess it's, uh, you know, if it's raining or whatever, you've got to jump on the indoor trainer and you've got to make an effort to do that. I guess no matter the weather, I'll run to or from work. Um, that's, you know, no second thought. And so I have the Training Peaks app, which consolidates uh, and aggregates all of your training data, gives it a training stress score, and then gives you nice charts for sort of 12 months before and after that you can see. So if you've got a goal race or uh, something coming up and then you know that you need to be doing X amount of swimming per week, then that's usually the, the thing that keeps you focused and or gets you out the door to get you to the pool, I guess. But, yeah, that's probably how we do it, how I do it. Getting out the door. Getting out the door because I guess running and riding can be done to and from work, whereas uh, swimming is always a destination uh, and it's always a, a separate choice to go. And are you, a, are you a solo trainer? Are you a social trainer? Training was always a social uh, aspect, I guess. You know, there's always racing within training to a degree and there's always just the, the pure social element, whether it's a coffee afterwards or chatting with your mates about the race that you've got coming up. Uh, I've been doing some more regimented training with a coach for the last 12 months and then I've got had a race um, about a month ago uh, and then I've got another one coming up in 10 weeks' time. But I've chosen to be more social for the next 10 weeks um, and I've gone off the coach's program to make it more social. And what motivated you to uh, to take on a coach? Because I know you've, you've done a lot of it yourself in the past. So what yeah. was the, the desire behind that? The desire was, uh, he knows more than me, for a start. He's done very, very well. He's raced very, very fast, and he's done it in a scientific manner. So he's, he's very, very good. He's new school, I guess, if you're going to call it. He's science-based, power meter on the bike-based. And so uh, I moderately understood the science behind it and believed in the science that he used. And ultimately, it was coming down to, I was spending a lot of time thinking about training. So it was more and more I'm understanding that not just the value of my time because there's always something that I can do for the business um, it's as much the mental bandwidth and the mind space that uh, that it takes up okay so it's um, more about allowing you to focus on where you can have the biggest impact um, personally and uh, and as you say kind of free up that headspace to allow you to focus on that and still get everything done that you need to yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and I know you've had some uh, some pretty good races in the past. Was it 2.42 marathon? And they're only the ones that I can find easily. What's... <laughs> <laughs> those, those are the best ones. So I've got, got none of the <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your proudest sporting accomplishment so far? That's a question I haven't really even asked myself. Probably Ironman Cairns in 2014. That was my fastest Ironman. For me, it's probably not more the pride of it, but more it was an illustration of you can only control what you can control. In this sense, for that race, I went nine hours and 27 minutes at Cairns um, for an Ironman, which is pretty quick. Not quick enough to kind of that year. How far off were you? Uh, yeah, this is it. So uh, it was... A pretty good time, and it's probably going to get you pretty close to getting a Hawaii spot most years at Cairns. But um, seven other very fast people in my age group decided to turn up that year, and I was uh, what was I? Twelve minutes off a Hawaii spot. So 
a significant degree away from from getting a Hawaii spot that year. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that I'd paced very well, uh, and I knew that the the marathon was going to be uh, even split, which is pretty good. Um, and I said to myself at the end, ultimately you've got to be happy with the race because I felt that I'd trained really well and that I'd executed pretty well. Hi, it's Dave here with a quick word from our sponsor. Knightswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share our passion for endurance sports. People often come to us for one of three reasons. One, you aren't where you thought you'd be financially at this point in your life. Two, you don't seem to have any time to get a proper handle on your finances. And three, you may be annoyed you're paying so much for life insurance to protect yourself and your family, but you're fitter and healthier than the average punter and you wonder why it's costing you so much. Underlying all of this, though, is often a concern that you may be wasting your opportunities and not maximising all of your hard work. We have a five-step process we take you through, which will help you develop a plan you're confident will get you to where you want to be financially, simplify your affairs and take much of the hassle off your hands, and show you how you can be rewarded financially for looking after yourself and your family. For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show. So in terms of getting down to, to kind of nine and a half hours, what did happen in the lead up to that was uh, consistency. So it was two years, if not more, of doing at least one marathon a year and at least one Ironman a year. I averaged 15 hours a week training into that, but it was off the back of two years of consistent work. And I think that's more important than doing 25 hours a week for six months and it's easier to fit in with your life um, and everything like that. And so uh, that period and that time and that training philosophy is what I want to do for the next 10, 11 weeks for the race back into Kensington. But also you were talking about um, you know, having the, the number of races that you did over that period as well where, you know, and I presume that you were, you were racing them, you weren't just uh, competing in them to, to kind of tick them off the list or anything like that. So in that sense, you're, um, you're kind of getting used to, to really pushing your body and, uh, and stretching your mind as far as what it's possible for you to do. Would that be a, a fair comment? In training, yes. And so one of those J.P. Morgan corporate challenges was I ran 33K in the morning on a Wednesday morning and then rocked up to the J.P. Morgan uh, corporate challenge in the afternoon. I didn't know how I was going to go. The legs were all right and I got a pretty good result. So, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of cool things that pop up when you do train like that um, that you don't expect. You know, sometimes you can do a, a 10K run and then two days later you're no good. But I guess it did build on that consistency. And yeah, it was social. It was uh, had a moderate element of competitiveness in the training. The tougher sessions were usually the training sessions. So whether it was pushing that run from 20k to 22 to 24 to 26 to 30k, um, or the bike rides from a three-hour ride to a four to five to six-hour ride, that was probably tougher than the race because ultimately the anything like a marathon or a Ironman, it's much much more about controlling your pace. And if you want to go, well, Mark Allen, it's probably more about being in a positive headspace to be slow enough to go fast enough at the end. Uh, yeah, in the last hour, it's hard and you've got to make sure that you don't stop and you've got to push. Um, but that comes from nine hours of 
watching your heart rate, keeping it low, watching your power meter, making sure you take on that nutrition and all that sort of stuff. So how long do you do you think you can keep uh, training and competing at your current level? Uh, I think part of the, the change that I've just instigated with um, making the training more social and uh, interactive is something that, that gives me more longevity in that sense. Uh, the training that I was doing with the coach was very exactingly specific. Uh, and so whether it was a an exact four-hour indoor training session on the bike with the uh, X power for 20 minutes and then a different power or lower power for 40 minutes. It was all probably very exact and very scientific. Uh, it took a lot of willpower. Whereas if it's, uh, you know, if you see on Facebook, your, your friends are all going for a ride tomorrow and it's out on the road and the power is not going to be exactly right that you want to do, but if it means that you go and hang out with your mates for five hours rather than four, I guess I'm not qualified to, to comment on the science of that, but I know that in my headspace, you get home and you go, that was a really cool ride. Not that was hard training. And from what you told me, you're in a relationship at the moment, but you said no kids or anything like that. Does your partner race, train, do tries, do things like that? She's as mad as you? Uh, yeah, she's a um, partner in crime in, in a lot of the races. She raced in Taupo. Uh, she did the half Ironman when I was over there three, four weeks ago. Uh, yeah. And it's good. Uh, we have training sessions together. Uh, but, yeah, that's no, good. It's helpful. It's easy. It's, it's good to spend that time. I'd hate to see your food bill. <laughs> I know what mine's like. <laughs> um, okay, so that obviously makes it easy in terms of um, everyone's got the same priorities and things like that, and you kind of understand that, that that's important. And um, I guess it's the lifestyle and the, a lot of the time similar, um, which is good, but it's the differences, I guess, which uh, also add to it. I'm an age group triathlete. I haven't made one cent from triathlon. I've paid lots of money to do triathlon. Um, uh, Caitlin's got um, Caitlin, my partner, has got uh, a real passion for travel and seeing lots of different stuff, and so that's good. I guess between the business and working my calendar a lot more than I ever did in in corporate space, having my calendar integrate life, training, business, and Caitlin, um, and then planning out for twelve months and booking flights and looking at different trips, travels, and even to the point of, hey, I've done two things already in that month. I don't think I can do that third trip to away for a long weekend for a, a month that's nine months away. Um, I had never done that. Um, it's engaging and I guess we've learned the process of compromise a lot better. We're learning to not say no, but learning to prioritise. And so how do you um, how do you do that? I, I guess I drove it to start with to look at the, the year in total. Yes, I've got work flexibility, but I can't take it. I can't abuse that. I'm not in a position where I've got I'm the sole person doing the service. While I can take an hour or two off here or there, I still have to give a commitment to the business. And whether it's a commitment to the business or commitment to training or commitment to, I guess, not taking 60 days a year off, not that I was doing that. So we kind of sat down and started adding up all the trips and then that's when it starts becoming one versus the other as opposed to just a straight note. Yeah, okay. Which is interesting because, like you say, the the danger is, particularly when you're earning, when you're earning good money, um, you know, obviously, you, you, know, you spend quite a bit on, um, you know, on tries and running and, and all that sort of stuff anyway. And then you start putting the trips and things on top of that. And because the cash flow is coming through, you know, it's easy to just say, yeah, well, that's fine. Um, yeah, because we can afford it. You know, in terms of 
what the, the longer-term implications are of that. And obviously, you've got to juggle the, the business impact as well in terms of time away. That's the one that can be difficult you know, for a lot of people where they're not necessarily sitting down and, you know, and looking at that and saying, well, okay, what, what do we really want to be able to do? And then you know, if we go and do too much, what does that cost us in the longer term? You know, whether it's a, a monetary thing, whether it's a, you know, we've got to give up something else that we'd otherwise say yes to. Um, and I think that's a, that's a danger that a lot of people can fall into because you know, in, the, you know, in the endurance space, you know, excluding the, the pros who are just being paid to do that, um, for most people it really is a passion thing, but most of them are actually doing pretty well professionally, um, you know, whether it's their own business or, you know, or in corporate land or whatever else. And so, you know, the, the ability is there just to say yes to, to everything. And then at some point down the track, you kind of look back and go, oh, that may not quite be uh, what I wanted. Yeah, there's something that, uh, that we're not going to be able to do as a result of that uh, without digging, its, you know, digging ourselves into a big hole. So it's, it's interesting that you're, that you're doing that now. I do plan... Um, sorry. And ultimately, the, the biggest thing... I guess that I've evolved to come around to is I can see that I could potentially grow the business to the point where I can take more time off or out of it and have some help on the processing side and maybe even take other brokers on. But I know that's not going to happen without me investing the time. And so I guess even more than in corporate land where you work hard for a dollar, here with the business, I guess my mind space has then been turned to I can work harder to make a recurring income stream of a dollar. Um, uh, and yet it takes hard work and yet it takes uh, doing lots of things that I'm not comfortable with, that I have to be quite humble, that I have no idea about. I, well, I had no idea about IP Australia or how to do a trademark or anything like that 12 months ago, um, but I'm going through that sort of process and learning it. So it's interesting just looking at that too. I mean, one of the things that I was picking up listening to you then is um, yeah, this idea of risk. And you know, even when you're back in corporate land, the idea of getting out of there and going and and jumping in your own business. Yeah, okay, there was a, a stop along the way while you learnt the, the business itself, but I think ultimately the plan was there to, you know, to go out on your own. I, a lot of people would look at that and say, well, that's a bloody big risk to take, you know, to go from you know, where you've got a, a secure income, you know, you've got all the status of the you know, corporate land and you know, you've got someone to fix your computer and look after the IP and... You know, the execution and settlements and, and all that sort of stuff, whereas now you've got to do everything. And on top of that, you've got to go and find the business as well. Do you regard yourself as being a risky, you know, a risk taker? That would have been my position in my view 10 years ago or, you know, joining the workforce uh, and for a lot of people, I guess. I went through the GFC working at a global investment bank, um, the stock price of which went from $54 to $0.97. Cents. Um the periods of time in 2008 where I ran to work instead of cycling because I thought if the administrators came in overnight that my bike would probably, I'd get it back eventually, but that it would probably take six weeks to, uh, to sort out whose was who and what was Citibank assets versus my person. Time may have created those impressions. I'm pretty sure that's what that was the case at the time. Uh, so I guess my perception of uh, a corporate job where you do get paid X per month uh, I think my impression of that is riskier than a lot of the general public's impression. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of that as well. And, um, yeah, yeah, there were a lot of people during the GFC who, uh, who lost their jobs and uh, yeah, struggled to get them back in the finance sector. 
but that happens uh, you know, in any corporates as well. You see people have dedicated their lives to, to a company and, uh, and all of a sudden there's a change in strategy or um, you know, even just the fact that you know, they're getting older and you know, what is it now in corporate land, if you're over 50, you're on borrowed time almost in, in a lot of cases. Out of the top, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the idea of, uh, yeah, of safety there is, um, yeah, is an interesting one. What's your guilty secret? What's something you know you should do but never seem to get around to, whether that's in training, whether that's in business, whether that's... Uh... <laughs> One that's on my mind at the moment. I need to... Uh, all of my marketing efforts have been put on hold or they're largely on hold. I have to lock down the intellectual property for a brand. So Zeal Finance may or may not be around the long term. I know that it can't because there's another firm that has a... It's within the finance category. It's not a mortgage broking firm, so there's no reason for them to come and squash me or Zeal Finance, but... They have the ability to do that at some stage. That's something which has been playing on my mind, which I need to do, even to the point where I guess my level of investigation when I was setting up on my own might have been overkill, uh, but it was to the level of detail when I set up. I guess there were a few things which I were reasonably unhappy with with the first four and the mortgage broking, with the, the business set up there. Um, and so I paid particular attention to a lot of things when I set up. That's actually... That experience in my research that I did then has been called upon by a number of brokers who have set up on their own in the last six months. What's the next big challenge you're, you're going to tackle? You said you've got a, another race coming up in uh, 10 or 11 weeks. Is that yep. another Ironman? It is, yeah. So it's a challenge. And I'm going to change the, the nature and focus of the training to be more social. Uh, more than half of my client athletes that I've known from going for bike rides, going for runs with. And not that that's the basis of it, but that's an additional bonus. My social interaction with work is is not as much as it was in corporate land as well. So if you've got those two facets of your life being a little bit more solitary, it's a bit harder. So the challenge is that uh, work, I want to grow up to more than a one-man band. Um, and I want to grow up to be able to help, ultimately to be able to help more people because I couldn't name one client off the top of my head that came in and I said, you know what, you've got the perfect setup. I can't help you. Uh, What's the one thing you really wish you were better at? Swimming. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I've, what I've got on to is, uh, I guess, A, when I set up the business, I started to-do lists. I started actually using them and working through them and prioritising them. I've then, I guess, progressed to this idea of the calendar. It's all very well to have something 10th on your to-do list, but if you don't give it a time, even within the next two weeks, if you don't allocate a time for that, it doesn't get done. And so, uh, and a lot of, especially the stuff to do with business structure and non-deal work related uh, tasks, they're not due today. They're not due tomorrow. They're not due before the weekend, but there's a whole lot of them. You still got to get it done. Um, and so if you have a to-do list that's got a lot of hours and a lot of tasks in it and none of them are urgent, none of them will get done. So, it's almost like having that coach sitting there saying that, you know, this is just what you're going to do. So you basically plan it out, set and forget, and then all you've got to do is go through and execute the, uh, you know, the plan as it were and don't have to mm. sit and guess yourself. Uh, yeah. And so in that, uh, I think uh, I found having the coach very valuable for that, but I think it was the, a large part of that was actually also the, the, application training picks i can't speak highly enough if there's if you're thinking of getting a coach start just by paying 20 bucks a month for training picks 
for the triathlon training. Ultimately, what I was finding was I was having to adjust <laughs> adjust the sessions almost as much as having to make the decisions on what sessions to do. I love running, and I love I love running with fast guys. Um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of fast guys in town, and I want to run with them more. But it was hard to make it work with the coach, and then it was ultimately hard to even make it work in the sense of, like, my ideal would be, you know, do a bike session on the way to work, run home, run back in in the morning, maybe stop off at the pool on one of those runs, and then ride home and do a ride session the next night. That is the, the peak of efficiency. Despite having those discussions with my coach a lot of the time, he would just put in his prescriptive, this is the scientific absolute best. So I think I'm going to get closer probably to the perfect training if I start with an, a broad overview of what I want to get done in the week, training-wise, my life, business, and, and time allocation to it, uh, and ultimately me sit down, plan my week, even two, three weeks ahead. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask you one last thing. What it is is basically we've spoken about a few things today and you know, some of the, the strategies and tactics that you use. So what I want you to do is... Uh, is put out a challenge for listeners based on you know, either what you do professionally or what you've found has been working well for you in terms of, um, of planning out your life um, and being more effective with that. So basically a challenge for them to, to do this week. And, yeah, it could be training. It could be, like I say, it could be any of those other things. But what, what do you challenge people to do over the next week? Well, the answer is um, it has a bit of a prioritisation level to it. It has a level of uh, scenario and sensitivity analysis to it and how much you can change and affect. Ask yourself what's your biggest cost each day, each week, each month. Ask yourself if you ever buy specials at the supermarket. Uh, and if you can't tell me what your monthly mortgage payment is and what your interest rate is, but you try and save 10 cents, at 10 cents on a dollar item at the supermarket, prioritise. Probably much, much more savings and looking at your biggest cost um, and trying to save on that and don't sweat the small stuff. Understand what's important and what's not. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Ben. It's been, uh, I've been really looking forward to, to having a bit more of an in-depth chat with you. So, uh, and that's been great. So thanks very much for your time. That's right. I have to think of some questions for you for the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll come back to that one. big thank you to Benjamin Lowe for being an amazing guest on the show this week. You can find out more about Ben in the show notes at knightswood.com.au and at zealfinance.com.au. If you like this interview, please share it with a friend. We'd also love you to give us some feedback. Rate the episode on iTunes and tell us what you thought. And if there's a special guest you'd like to hear on the show in future, let us know and we'll do our best to get them on. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Dave Hazelwood and you've been listening to The Pursuit of Life. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit of Life. To learn more about how Knightswood House can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future, visit knightswood.com.au.